0: Who've really enjoyed the series that we've had on the fivefold ministry? It has really been absolutely amazing, eh? And God is opening our eyes to his pattern and his way of he, the way he builds. And this is so important. Some people think, oh, you're just the fivefold ministry, and they sort of fling it off. But actually, when you look at it, and you uncover it, and you discover, and you have it revealed to you, it's the most beautiful thing that God has actually designed for his church. His body. And yet, we very rarely see it in operation. And we have to ask ourselves, why? And this is why this, this body of believers is looking into it. And, you know, God is building it his way. And we're surrendering it to him. It's a beautiful thing. But we've covered the apostle, the prophet, and the teacher. Who can remember some of the characteristics of the apostle? Sorry? Sent, yes, sent one. Set apart, yep. Sorry. Sacrificial, yeah. Anointed, Anointed, yeah. Okay, (laughs) crazy, yeah. (laughs) They have a Father's heart. They're also foundational layers. They see and they download God's blueprint for God's church on this earth. And they impart and uh, and powerful. But what about the prophet? Now, I mean, what I've said about the apostles, it's only a little bit of it. But what about the apostle? Sorry, the prophet now. Sorry? Builder? Mm -hmm. Called as well, yeah. And a what? Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) the biggest killjoy (laughs) some people call them that yeah that's what uh, Arthur Katz was called the weeping or the was it the crying prophet yeah yeah that's right Um, so they they see the micro and the macro of God's plans they declare it and they decree it they see into the future what God is bringing into the now Sometimes they seem aloof. Sometimes they seem, you know, difficult. But it's an amazing. You've got to have the people that can see and declare what God is doing. So those two things work together. What about the teacher? What have we learned about the teacher? Yeah, very good. They take the profound and make it simple. They guide, mm, yep. They bring to light the mysteries, yes. So I want you to capture this picture. You get the apostles and the prophets downloading and seeing God's picture, and they're declaring it to the people. You get the, the teacher that actually grasps it and sees it. And wow, it just strikes them. And so, because it's revealed to them, they're able to take those words that are spoken, and they're able to break it down for the people to understand. And now we're bringing in the pastor. So the wonderful thing about the pastor is that they're not there just to pat you on the back and say they're there and all that sort of thing. They're actually there to when they capture it and see what this, what God is doing, and how it's being broken down. They're like the mentors around the people to guide that flock into the right direction that God is leading everybody else into. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the shepherd leading them into that? It's a beautiful thing when you see it God's way. And uh, (laughs) then there's the next bit, which I'm not going to talk about tonight, but the evangelist, it all fits in like a glove, a jigsaw puzzle so beautifully. And yet, the shepherds or the pastors, even though they play a really important part in the building plan, however, out of all the fivefold ministries, the pastor has probably been distorted, it's in your notes, distorted more than the others. I'll read that again. Pastors or shepherds also play a really important part in his building plan, however, out of all the fivefold gifts, the pastor has probably been distorted more than the others. Man has an incredible ability to take something that God has so beautifully and and designed, and try to improve it. Yeah. Do you remember David? The cart or the 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 um, the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted to shift it. His intent was really, really good. So he goes out and he gets this cart and he puts the thing, the ark on the cart. Now the intent was right. Everything was, was seemed okay to man to be able to do it. And yet it wasn't God's way. We can take what we think is right and we can twist it or distort it. And it actually ends in disaster down the track. So God is shaking everything up to get our attention to see actually how does it really work. But as I said, out of the past a thing, it's probably been distorted more than anything else. And the real issue is because of our sight. If we're not able to see God's heavenly blueprint on how these gifts are designed to operate, we will add our own rules and expectations. And so what comes, and it's basically, it comes from our limited earthly mindsets. And this produces a church institution, if you like, an old wineskin that is man-built rather than God-built. There's something about man that has to take something of God and bring it down to his size, and then we put it into a box. And then it all becomes about the box. And the stuff inside that used to have the life of God on it dies. And then we argue about the box. And we have different sized boxes. But everything's been removed from what God's really saying. See how easy that is to do that? We place a whole lot of rules and regulations around it and we've got to cement the box. We've actually got to build it stronger. We've got to, you know. And yet we've missed the whole point of what God is trying to do. His design uses the fivefold to build up and equip Christ's body, a living, maturing maturing church with an eternal purpose always ahead of her. Without God's blueprint, there is a lack of life and power and the evidence of oneness. Whenever God builds something so beautiful, there's always oneness. Whenever man builds something, there's conformity. But when God builds... There's a oneness. When you look at the wall that uh, Nehemiah built, they rose up as one man. And the number of times you read in in scriptures about what God built, there was a one purpose, one man that rose up. Nothing that man uh, man could have made. Sadly, man has helped to reshape the role of the pastor and built it according to fleshly mindsets and human understanding. The result has generated in centuries of how we think a pastor or a minister or a shepherd looks like. And that's what I want to look at tonight. We want to look at how we've put that into a little box and also the role of the sheep and their responsibility as well. It all works together. It's so important. So what are some of the traditional things we think about pastors or ministers? Can somebody shout them out? Shepherd, yeah. Everything to everyone all the time. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. They take care of the church problems, yeah. Counselor, yeah. They do everything... (laughs) They keep everything, they do everything they can to keep the sheep in the church. Okay. What else? They're paid to do it. Yeah. (laughs) They better do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, let's have a look at some of these. Okay. Number one, pastors or ministers or shepherds are alone, are alone. And look after a flock. So we have this picture of the isolated shepherds somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, sitting there by the fire and with their little sheep, isolated, alone. You'll be surprised at how many people think of people like that. Number B, they guide and protect, which is correct. That's what they've been given to do. Some of these aren't bad. They chase after the lost sheep. They're always running after this person and that person and trying to get them back and where they wandered to. They pray for the sick and the lost. Now, only the pastor can pray for the the, the sick and the lost. (laughs) I mean, they're the anointed ones. You'll be surprised that when you get a ministering, a visiting minister up there who's got a bit of a prophetic edge or a healing minister and like that, and you get other people who have joined them on the front to pray, and you get people say, I've got to go to that one there because he's the anointed one. You'll be surprised. <laughs> then they counsel. They're the ones that do all the counseling. They keep the peace. They, muck, they mop up the junk and the spew and the, everything else that goes on. In some ways, they try and keep the peace. It's a real juggling act. They're the ones that build the church. How many people have been in churches that every year you have a new vision? (laughs) Yeah. We used to have a vision every year. And because we didn't really obtain to the last one, (laughs) we've got to have another one. To actually try and spur the people onto something. Because without a vision, the people <laughs> perish. <laughs> True, isn't it? This is what we think. This is an old mindset. The church growth, they're, they're always uh, responsible for the church growth and the flock. It's a measure of a successful church. If the church is not growing... There's something wrong with the pastor. That's true. He's the one that's responsible. It's because they're not doing it my way. If they only knew what my way was, we'd have more people in this place. Now, when you multiply that by all of us here, (laughs) everybody's got a different way of building the church. They think the pastor should be doing. Yeah. After all, they are paid to do it. How many times have you heard that? It's not my job. I'm not here to get the loss. They're paid to do it. Number two, pastors are appointed to positions. And somehow we've built in the church, it's all about positions and hierarchy and titles. And where you sit in that, it's become a very corporate sort of thing. Some bodies of believers, they, uh, some pastors are elected or voted in, in a democracy. You still get that today. They elect their minister, the one that they think is going to suit them. Rather than the man who's been called of God. So titles, is the next one is titles, positions, and hierarchy are very important. That becomes more important than anything else. Have you seen my title? <laughs> I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know? People get very, in, you know, very upset when you don't recognize that I'm the man of God. You know? You'll be surprised what goes on. Collars or something external. They have to wear something external. Not all pastors do nowadays. But Greg, where's your, where's your collar? Did the... <laughs> I was going to say the dog got yours today. <laughs> but you see, it's something external that people can see that you're a minister, a man of God, rather than seeing something that's internal, that's changed a person. Number three, pastors should be humble. Fleshly understanding. I mean, we have a fleshly understanding of what humble is. We think it's an outward appearance of being poor, Gentle, meek, and mild that's what the pastor should be b they are meant to be holy and perfect holy, sorry holy and perfect <laughs> almost superhuman they can't make any mistakes because they're i mean they're they're right next door to him, you know. <laughs> so they, they, they've got to be able to... We, we almost elevate them on a, on a pedestal. And yet, they are human beings in, any, in every way. They can make mistakes. But when we elevate somebody on a pedestal and they fall or fail, suddenly our whole faith is shattered because we built it in a person rather than the Lord. I've seen so many Christians derailed because of that. You, you see a church, the pastor's fallen into immorality. It just splits it right down the middle. It destroys a lot of lives. It really does. But a lot of the time it's because we've elevated them onto a platform they were never meant to be on. See, they should be on the minimum wage so that they're not puffed up and become proud <laughs> <laughs> and where does that come from it comes from <laughs> it's the picture that we have of monks living in monastery with the vow of poverty So I mean when a car when a when a pastor turns up in a pretty flash car, suddenly we think, What on earth are they doing? Where did they get that from? They shouldn't have that. You'll be surprised at the number of people in the body of Christ. When they see a pastor having uh, some sort of either flash car or a nice house or a whatever, it's like, you know, that shouldn't be, because our image is that they're meant to be humble and poor, and 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 on the basic wages. So they should really have either a a second-hand car or a third-hand car or, or hand-me-downs of some sort. That's amazing, eh? But this is rife in the body of Christ. We judge the pastor by what they have and what they own, where they send their kids to school, all those different things. If it's anything above normal, it's like, that's not right. How can they do that? They're wasting the money, the church money. Number four, pastors are responsible for running the church. It's all about a building and its function. It's about, <laughs> it's about a one-man band. Often in many churches, they're the first one the, on a Sunday morning and they're the last to leave. They have to maintain the buildings and also the grounds. Clean the toilet, somebody just said. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) They oversee all areas. So they wear a lot of different hats. Running around, running a never-ending race, like a mouse wheel, trying to get everything done. After all, they're paid to do this, aren't they? On the minimum wage. (laughs) We're not asking too much. Number five, pastors are there to meet my needs. On call 24-7. Should they have holidays? No. I mean, they're there for me. They are there to feed me. To tickle my ears. They come when I call. They're there to entertain us. Keep each service, uh, keep, keep each service with that special edge. If the service fails, it's the pastor's fault. You'll be surprised. It's so true. They're there to get people saved. After it's all, it's their job and they're paid to do it. You'll hear that over and over again. To entertain our youth, to provide suitable programs for our children. Because we've come to this church and we've got a family and they need to be entertained and kept looked after. Otherwise, we'll look for another church with a good program. So people come to churches because of the programs that there is run, not because of where God calls them. To tell me what I want to hear, not to challenge me or to offend us. And they need to be knowledgeable. They need to be knowledgeable because they must give me an intellectual sermon, something that stimulates my brain. It has that little wow factor and that warm, fuzzy feeling that I can go away and say, wow, that was really interesting. But nothing actually happens in here. And the warm fuzzies, of course, are the ultimate spiritual experience that we must have, that the pastor has to provide. So what a list. What a weight to carry. And you can imagine what the weight on one guy or one lady or whoever it is, that pastor of the church has to carry. Let alone the arguments that go on because this person wants this, but that person wants the opposite. And so the pastor's caught in between. And then you get the odd famous line, well, I'm going to take my money and go. It is so true. So, but then there's pressure on the pastor. Why? Because that's one of their biggest givers. So maybe I've got to compromise to get, you see what I mean? But then i am also got this person over here who wants the opposite. So they walk this fine line all the way down. Can you imagine the, the burden that they carry because of man's expectations? It's quite heavy. But, you know, we've used the term pastor and branded all church leaders with it. However, it is clear that not are all pastors. And yet we've tried to fit it all into one thing, into what we think they've been. You see, historically, the fivefold ministry gifts have been squeezed into the pastoral functioning role. And this is where unmet expectations have come from. Let's have a look at them. Let's have a look at the apostle. Now, apostles can seem hard to understand. True. But when we try and squeeze them into the pastoral mold, they don't fit. They carry a grace to realign and set the wrong foundations right and are often rejected because the change they bring. We don't like our foundations being messed with. We like the status quo. So why go and change it? So here we are trying to fit. There are people with apostolic callings that just don't fit it. They have the heavenly downloads. They have all those things that God is doing and showing and revealing to them, but they don't fit the pastoral mold. Yet we want the pastoral mold. Hence why people don't like it. Then there's prophets that we've called pastors. Now prophets make terrible pastors. <laughs> because they're often seeing ahead where the church currently is. And are declaring the reality she is to come into. So they often are criticized for being aloof. Being out there. And sometimes rather direct. They've got a. Real, uh, sometimes they're gruff. Sometimes they're. They say what it is. It's black and white. Pastors, oh, they're meant to be, you know, soft and and, and, and nice and and humble and poor and. <laughs> 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 but prophets say it as it is. Gets my, you know, gets our back up. You know, they see into the future and they get frustrated when the flock aren't um, are blind to it and are not growing fast enough. You get prophets that get so frustrated. Then you get teachers who are not often pastors in nature. They love to study the word and teach the people, but they're not so good at shepherding at the shepherding side and are often criticised for not hearing enough. You've heard the term, there's no love in the church. But it's true, isn't it? The teachers are so concerned about preaching the word of God that they're not so good on the relational side. Evangelists are focused on the lost. They're often criticized for being uninterested in the well-being of and the maturing of the church. So you get evangelists running the church, but you've got no one nurturing and growing the people in there. But we've put them as a pastor. Teachers, people are becoming very knowledgeable, but they're not being cared for in the same way. And the lost are not necessarily getting saved. Yet true pastors are also criticised. So when you get somebody with a real pastoral, men, you know, mental on them, they're criticised. Why? Because they're not very good teachers for some of them. But I want a good sermon. I want I want some real knowledgeable stuff, something I can get my teeth into. Then they they're, they're criticised because they're not. Um, prophetic enough and they don't prophesy enough or they don't have that heavenly calling or that heavenly download then they're criticized because they're not evangelists you see how you can't win and here's a genuine pastoral person with that mantle sitting on them and yet they're now getting criticized because they're not the others See, what we tried to do, too often people have expected them to function in all the gifts, and we blurred the lines and tried to create one-fits-all mentality. So can you see how everything is all over the show? If you condense it down to just say, that's a pastor. Actually, what is the mantle that rests upon them? If we see it like that, it's totally different. This was never God's design. And this is why he created the fivefold ministry to work together, to complement each other and to carry the load together. Not in their own strength, but in the power and the grace that God has given them. Each of those giftings has a gracing upon it. And when they work together beautifully, God carries it and God builds it and strengthens it. When each of them are dead to themselves, Apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, and evangelist, when they're dead to themselves, there's such life that comes. It's a beautiful picture that flows from them to the sheep. And when they work together, all those ministries, the sheep are satisfied. There's something beautiful about it. And then the sheep, they lay down their lives because The leaders have laid their lives down. It just flows on and on and on. But this can only be accomplished through him doing the work in them. Much of today's church, there is little evidence of the fivefold functioning as God designed it. But in this day, he's restoring his church back to the way that he designed it to be. So the fivefold are part of what he's doing in each part of the body. It's a beautiful thing. And it's all in readiness for his return, maturing the body. Under the old mantle, the old wineskins, the pastors have tried to walk a balancing act, as I've said before, trying to please as many people as possible, but they compromise. And a lot of them have been burnt out. I've known a lot of pastors that have burnt out, that have just come to the end of their own strength, that have nothing left to give. And you'll see there's a lot of pastors in ministry today that are tired, that are really tired. I remember um, hearing one uh, one pastor saying, you know, I've done everything, I've, I've taught them everything I know. There's nothing more that I've got to give them. He was empty. He He ended up retiring, quitting, walking away. Because he had nothing left. There was nothing in here to give. Because they spend so much time doing it out of their own effort and strength. They're exhausted at the end of it. Man's way is built on function. God's way is based on relationship. We heard that this morning in in the message. So man's way is built on function. God's way is based on relationship. There's a huge difference. Man's way believes that they have to build the church, and that involves striving. God's way is built on revelation that he builds his church, and all working in faith comes, it all comes from a position of rest. See the difference? Man's way is striving. God's way is rest. Which way would you prefer? See, man's man's way may look externally fruitful and measures itself by the external, but God, however, looks at the internal workings of the heart and his fruit is primarily measured by his nature formed within his church, such as his love. So let's have a look at the shepherd's responsibility. Okay, we've looked at uh, shepherds and, and, and the pressure that's on them. But there is a responsibility that God has given them too. The Bible gives a number of scriptures uh, to read. Psalm 23 is, of course, one of the, the Lord is my shepherd. It gives them the most beautiful picture of what a shepherd is like. But there's heaps of other scriptures about shepherds. And I want to focus on the warning ones because Paul and Sandra will be speaking more about what God is, how God has designed and built the, the shepherds. So there's a a difference between those called of God and those who do it for a job. Jesus describes it in John 10, which Greg read out just a couple of weeks ago. 10, verse 7 to 18, but I'm not going to read it all. He talks in, um, where is it? Uh, talks about the hiling. Here we go. Verse 13, yeah. Uh, verse 12 says But a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is hired, because he's a hireling, and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. So there are hirelings, there are, there are pastors in place that don't actually care about the sheep. It's a job to them. And that can be a dangerous thing because it's all about position, it's all about titles, it's all about being recognized. Or being seen and growing. And so their main concern is actually climbing the corporate ladder rather than caring about the sheep. Jeremiah 10.21 says this, For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. You know, one of the major things about uh, shepherds or or pastors that they have problems with today is that they don't have time to pray. They are so busy doing that list that we talked about beforehand that the time with God and the intimacy actually gets pushed and squeezed and squeezed until it's only a small portion of their day. So really it becomes more of their own effort through it. So they become dull-hearted and they don't seek the Lord. And that's how they burn out. Jeremiah 23, verse 1 to 4, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and not attended to them. There are some warnings here. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, My people have been, have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from the mountain to... They have forgotten their resting place. Isn't that interesting? They've forgotten their resting place. Ezekiel 34 talks about the irresponsible shepherds and the one true shepherd. Unfortunately, I don't really have time to, to read that, but you can read it later on. It's an amazing thing about the irresponsible shepherd. It says that they... Feed themselves. They eat the fat and clothe themselves. They have not they have not strengthened the weak. Nor healed those who are sick. Nor bound up the broken nor brought back what was driven away. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. It's a dictator mentality. And I've seen that in action. I've seen dictator mentalities take place. They have scattered, oh, the sheep were scattered. And the sheep, became food and prey for the beasts of the field. And the result, he talks about, is that my sheep have wandered. A true shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A hireling runs off. It's only a job, a position, and a title. And you'll always know, it's because of when the pressure comes on, what happens. And I've seen this, as I've said. The emphasis has been placed on hierarchy and titles and positions, and you get this jostling within the church leadership for who's more important than the other. And what happens is that the sheep are actually used or abused to meet the outcomes of what they're trying to build. And not only do the pastors that wear themselves out, they wear the sheep out because they're all trying to to get onto this big wheel and then they've got to keep spinning it but try and get it through. And it's often because a lot of those people who have that mentality are not genuine pastors at all. The church, beca- the church building becomes a number, a game of numbers and programs, orientated, uh, sorry, um, orientated where entertainment is demanded. So I read that again church building becomes a numbers game and program orientated where entertainment is demanded how can i build this church and therefore be recognized and was as one of the the pastors who has made it pastors want to be recognized there are some that go after wanting that high that you know those invitations to have a uh that that uh, that calling or that uh you know people ringing them up and, and endorsing them, writing books, conferences, getting their names on the the screens or or have their own television show or whatever it is they want to be known, but sometimes it comes at a cost of the sheep that can get trampled on. they have become driven by a consumer mentality that has to perform to the ever-increasing expectations of the people. And so what happens is you get people that are burnt out with their pastors or people that become cynical and disillusioned and they leave the body. You know, there are thousands and thousands of Christians today that aren't leaked into a body because they have been abused, they've been hurt, they've been mistreated, and it's been very, very difficult for them. And so they, it's very hard for them to trust somebody with a genuine ministry, a genuine calling. So shepherds must give an account for their love of the sheep, and the love has to come from God to be able to do that role because it's not an easy role to do. But it's not just one way. The sheep also have a responsibility to submit and obey to the shepherds over them. So let's just quickly have a look at the sheep. It says, sadly, there are thousands of Christians um, who are wary of getting involved because of the abuse they've been received from pastors. That's why some people have trouble committing themselves to something because of what they've experienced in the past. But they have to be healed of that and let it go to come into the genuine where they're not going to be abused. And it's not done out, done out of function, but it's done out of love. It's done out of him. It's done out of strength, his strength. There's such a difference. It says here, they have become sheep that have scattered. Can you see how this model is so unsustainable? and how destructive it is. Can you see that? Can you see how this model is unsustainable and how destructive it is? And yet that's what we've built. That's what we try and elevate. That's what we've tried to put in lights and try to attract the world to. And the world looks at it and thinks, well... Actually, I can get the same thing at a club down the road. And when they do come in, they come, they, they get set free, or they, they, they give their lives to Christ, and they become more bound up when they enter the church. We've created such a man-made institution. <coughs> but the sheep do have responsibility in this too. It's so easy to think the sheep... Uh, that the uh, the the sorry, it is easy as sheep to think that the shepherd is responsible for everything, and that but we too are held responsible or accountable. Do we realize this as sheep? Do we realize this? So let's have a look at the sheep very quickly. Did you know that out of all the farm animals, the sheep need more maintenance and care. And looking after than any other farm animal. I wonder why God used it. (laughs) So, what defines sheep? Is it people that just turn up for a gathering? Can we hear this? What defines sheep? What do you think defines sheep? <laughs> yeah. What else? Followers, yeah. <laughs> what was that? They flock together, yeah. Protection. They're so cute. <laughs> Let's go back to John chapter ten, eh? So much in John chapter ten. John chapter ten, verse three to five. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear. His voice, and calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, they, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will not by mo- no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And in verse fourteen, it says, "I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my sorry, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own." Do we really know him? Can we hear his voice? Can we recognize his voice? Sorry, I'll, I'll sorry, I should start again. Sorry, can we, as sheep, I've got it written down there, hear? The shepherd's voice, because he calls us by name. Can we hear? The second one, do we know or recognize the shepherd God has placed over us? Oh, it's only Greg. It's only Paul over here. It's only this or that. If we, if we treat the people God has placed over us with contempt, really, we will never receive from them. We'll always be looking out, looking for something else. What's that going on over there? You'll be surprised at the number of sheep that's looking out the out the window, somewhere else. Um, do they follow and obey the shepherd? Can the shepherd speak into our lives? Will we allow? them to speak do we go where he goes there's huge shifts taking place in this place are we prepared to humble ourselves under the leaders God has placed in this place and to be able to follow what God is doing and walk together this journey it's the most beautiful thing when we do when we all go in the one direction Do we eat pasture or good? Eat the pasture or the food laid before us? That's a big one. Or do we desire food from a greener pasture? I was reading this book on, on a shepherd who was a Christian guy, and, and he was a farmer. And he said there were always sheep looking out the fence, and yet his pasture was the greenest there was. And yet there was barren stuff out there and little clumps of grass here and there. But they were always looking out and trying to get out under the fence or through the fence or whatever. And the trouble is, he said, that once one got out, others would follow. But yet, he said, the lush green grass was in that pasture. And sometimes we can get blind to what's actually been on the table. We can take it for granted. And yet there's such a rich deposit of food in this place that would make each of us so fat that we couldn't contain it. But that's our Heavenly Father. The Lord is my shepherd. It talks about the food on the table that's laid before us. There's a feast there. And yet when others hear the sermons from this place, they're gobsmacked. And they think, where on earth? Why aren't we getting this sort of food? Where did this food come from? But there is so much being declared that God is doing in this place. Also, can you discern what voices speak to us, especially those who would try and lead us away? There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of voices. However, there's something incredibly beautiful when you see the true shepherds laying down their lives for their sheep that's John ten eleven, 11. And the sheep also responding in a like manner, laying their lives down as well. It's called love. His love in us, it's also called oneness. And this is how the early church operated. It was out of that oneness of heart. The world looked at how they lived and saw something that was so not of man, something that man could never do or build, by, by people that weren't known or famous or, or anything like that. And yet God took these unknown people, filled them with his spirit, and suddenly you've got 100% people doing stuff. Why? It's not out of because they've been told to or out of compulsion Or because there's a list of rules or regulations. It's because their hearts are so engaged and they're so in love with him and with each other. They're selling everything that they've got. There's no holding back. There's nothing there. The world hadn't seen anything like it. I'll tell you what, they haven't seen it again in our day, in our age. But one day they will, and it's coming because God is rebuilding his church the way, but it's not built of man. We cannot do it. It has to be birthed of His Spirit that does it. That the world can look and say, "That's Him, not us." Isn't that beautiful when that happens? And that's why you get ten percent. Most churches, you get barely ten percent of the people doing the work, and those ten percent are running around like like anything. While the others get fat, doing nothing, letting the others do the stuff for them, and we've got to ask ourselves, why is that? There's just a the last couple of scriptures to end with john ten twenty seven my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I think I've read that one. Ezekiel three: fifteen says, "I will give shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding." That word knowledge in the Hebrew is all about experiential knowledge. It's not about the head knowledge. And I want to end with 1 Peter. This is really, really beautiful. This sums it up. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 11, it says, The elders who are now among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the shepherd, uh, shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, so it's not just finished there. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. And it goes on. Isn't that beautiful? So it's not about, you know, it's, it's talking about the elders shepherding the people. It's about people shepherding each other. And we get a lot of that uh, you know, through the discipleship groups and other things as well. But I'm not going to go into any further than that because that's really for uh, Paul and Sandra to uncover. But you can see how man's model is so destructive and ruining the church. But God's way is so beautiful and we do it in his way. So you've got three questions there that I want you to have a look at and discuss within your group. What was your understanding of what a pastor did to, to prior to hearing this message? What was your, your thoughts over that? And then how has your mindset or your understanding changed in regards to how God designed this role to be? Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you never thought of it like this before. As sheep, what are the responsibilities that we have in regards to the shepherd or shepherds placed over you in this house?